Good morning, but wait a minute, you're not Bob Harris. Daniel, how you doing? You know, every once in a while, I see Bob and I'm like, that could be me in a while, but no, it's not. <laughs> uh, no, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me, man. I'm very much appreciative of having you here. And yeah, I mean, if, you know, if Bob grew some hair back and, you know, went back maybe <laughs> 20 years, gotten a little, you know, got even a little bit better shape, you know, and he's, he's in pretty good shape. So, you know, but no, nah, man, I'm, I'm, it's always awesome for, you to be able to join us you know if, if you're not familiar with daniel you should be he's at football guys you know you can find him at in harm's way 19 on x twitter whatever you want to call that that app um does really good football analysis a lot of chief centric analysis as well um and so you know we're gonna we're gonna get it rolling so number one aaron jones feel it or fuck it aaron jones top 15 running back next year in fantasy i'm still i'm still feeling it i'm never gonna quit on aaron jones and matt lafleur system he's just he's been fantastic and i think that he's still showing you that he can do exactly that with what he did yesterday against the cowboys like I, i'm i love what he does i just i love it yeah i mean i think the only concern for most people is going to be age related stuff yeah and you know if you can get him in a bargain but with the expectation that you can build around him your fantasy team around him because he's going to be that bargain i'm with you michael gallup is he finally ready to rebound in 2024 was last last this past weekend just really more you know dying embers that was what everyone wanted it to be right like if you were a michael gallup truth you're like yes finally give me something to hold on to but no fuck it uh he is just he's just not been a guy for me and i don't think he's going to be able to come back and continuously give you what you want from a guy who's predominantly on the outside as an X. He doesn't create enough separation for me, specifically when I'm looking at players at that X position. He doesn't do enough. I think this offense is going to change next year. There's going to be a lot of different things. I'm not sure that he's even in Dallas with their quarterback. So there's a lot that's going to go into this, but I'm I'm, I'm out on Michael Gallup. Still. Yeah, if Michael Gallup's career goes the way a lot of people would probably expect just based on how it's looked thus far, He'll be an yeah. Atlanta Falcon for a team that, you know, he'll be yes. alongside Van Jefferson. Tennessee Titan. You know, ex <laughs> feels like that. He's going the Chris Conley career, you know, in, oh, in, yeah. in essence, you know, which long career, good NFL football player, but not a good, not a, not a strong oh. fantasy player or a strong, um, you like Michael Gallup? Okay. Yeah, right. So, you know, someone's speaking up. Yeah, somebody's speaking up. I'm getting some pushback <laughs> in the in the in the draft room here, but you know, that's all right. He probably liked Jordan Love. So, um, you know, <laughs> and you know, I'm getting beaten up on Twitter a little bit today, which is fun cuz I had, you know, my, I'll I'll add a little side note on that. Jordan Love um Jordan, somebody found a tweet of mine and said Jordan Love, you know, if he were a fourth round pick, I think that would be better. And even then I would have probably said he should have been a sixth round pick, you know? And so, you know, rightfully so I'm taking Always my fun. lumps cause I was wrong on Jordan love though. I would argue that if he got put into any other situation, um, he probably would have been forced to start right away. And I yeah. don't think that would have turned out well. He needed that development time and I'm thrilled for Jordan love, totally thrilled Me for too. him and what he's done. So, all right. Sticking with the Cowboys since they're you know they're out of it now. Tony Pollard is he a top fifteen running back next year there or somewhere else? 
the Cowboys are an easy punching bag right now after what we saw from them on <laughs> on Sunday. And yeah, no, fuck that. I, I don't. I don't. Not with the Tony Pollard anymore. I I loved him as a complimentary back to a to a guy who you can consistently churn out yards who had better vision. But we've seen it this year. They continuously tried to force him the ball inside the red zone to get those touchdowns, and he was unable to find the creases. And when you don't have elite vision, you don't have that ability to see second-level defenders moving in. Because when you, obviously when you get inside the red zone, when you condense the field, those holes become much smaller. And if you can't see where those creases are folding, you can't see where the blocks are developing and how that second-level movement is happening, you can't get into the end zone. So they were unable to really do that for him this year, and he couldn't create it himself. So I think that if he's going to be somewhere where he's a complimentary back, sure but we're seeing a guy who's getting a little bit older i think he lost a bit of his juice this year as well which creates a lot of what he was able to do as that complimentary back so i'm out on tony pollard yeah fuck that for right now i think he's still i think that top 15 is probably the line because he could be on a team that that has a really strong offensive line and then they can also use him in a deandre swift sort of way where it's kind of a you know you know, open field, basic, basically trying to generate open field looks for him. And even from behind the line of scrimmage with what they did from Swift a lot or where you, mm-hmm. you know, when you have that quarterback and now there's three defenders, three defenders who are now all keen on one guy, you, you know, you get those numbers advantages and he can certainly throw from that. And you, I love that you mentioned the injury just from the standpoint that he's, um, you know, sometimes we forget that players who are healthy they're healthy enough to play, but they're not healthy enough yeah. to be the player we remember seeing. And this year might have been a lot of that until the second half of the season when things started to get a little bit better, statistically at least. But I yeah. agree that the vision is a question. Yeah, I will say that if he is in that pass catching back, the efficiency way for him to get back into that top 15 is still there. Like I still think that can be, but like you said, that line for him, it, it's so much finer that we've seen him with a quote-unquote, workhorse role, and he was unable to achieve that this season. Absolutely. So, Rishi Rice, you know, we're getting, go back to Kansas, go to Kansas City here. Can he be more than his current role in Kansas City? You know, and, and you know, I'll let you define what his current role is or what people yeah. think that current role is. So, this is where, you know, you tell me, you get me on the show and you say, we want to keep it kind of short on some of these, and then you give me a Rishi Rice question. So, <laughs> Whatever happens from here on out is totally Matt's fault because yeah, fuck, I can talk about Rasheed yeah, Rice. Yeah. The, the, the fuck that is the answer for, you know, this fuck the quick format. Go ahead. Go, take oh, all, all the time good, you man. need, man. So, so Rasheed Rice, for those of you that don't know, early in his, this season, most of his time was spent in the slot. If I'm not mistaken, I believe six out of his first nine weeks, he played the majority of his snaps out of the slot. And since that Miami game, really after the Eagles game, He's been a 50-50 player. He plays on the outside. He plays on the inside. What Andy Reid wants in his receivers to play everywhere. Play the Z. You play the X. You play the slot. You do all of it. And then we find different ways to manufacture touches because that's what Andy Reid does. He is a, I'm going to get you open. You have to then take advantage of what is given to you. That's exactly how Andy Reid wants to function. And he doesn't necessarily always want his players to be Travis Kelsey. Um, Travis Kelsey dictates whatever he wants to do. Um, and, and Rasheed Rice is like, okay, well, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm, I'm new to the system here. I'm learning. And they gave him, they kind of spoon-fed him a little bit. And then we got into 
exactly what Rasheed Rice does two years removed, or, or excuse me, a year removed from his injury. If you go back two years at SMU, you saw the explosiveness. You saw the acceleration out of you know out of his catch, out of his, his routes and his stem, all of that. But last year he had a foot injury. So when we were evaluating him, even on, on initial eval, I was like, I don't know about Rasheed Rice. I'm not sure what to see here. And then I went back after my initial and watched him in 2022. And I'm like, or 2020, the season before that. And I was like, okay, we got something here. There's something here. And Andy Reid has fed into it. So right now his current role is the Chiefs' number one wide receiver. He is getting schemed into space, being asked to identify where those soft spots in the zone are. And then every now and then when they see man coverage, they're like, okay, Rasheed, um, we'll give you kind of some freeway uh, to, to make your decision. There was a couple weeks ago where he changed his route based on the look on the deep safety against the Bengals, and he beat his man across his face down the field for a big play. That's what Rasheed Rice is now. His role can grow because he's being asked to do more. I think he might see more vertical routes next season because that's what he was excellent at last year at SMU. He was excellent down the field, dunking on guys and being able to be a deep threat. So what we're seeing right now is Andy Reid molding him into his system. And then I think next year the wheels or the training wheels might come off. We might see a little bit more of him and what he was asked to do at SMU. And that trust between him and Patrick Mahomes is apparent and it's evident. So I'm 100% feeling this because he can really grow and be a guy that gets a ton of volume in this offense based on what he does. Nice. So let's let's follow up with just say, look at the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver core. Yes. You know, with that in mind, would you look at the rest of the core and say, okay, maybe not the best choices or maybe it's better to say it's a difficult system based on what you explain relative to other teams? I think this is a little bit of both in terms of what they put together. They made some bets on players that, and honestly, this stems from their Super Bowl win. They looked at their wide receiver room and they said, okay, Juju's not going to be there. So there isn't going to be a ton different here. There's still going to be Kadarius Tony, Justin Watson, MVS. And we, based on what we do in Kansas City, we, we didn't really impact and evaluate how changing maybe the wide receiver coach was going to impact these players. Um, I think Rasheed Rice has grown in spite of Connor Embry being a first-year head coach, uh, first-year wide receivers coach in Kansas City. Everybody else around him has taken clear and obvious steps back. Every single person. I, I think that MVS specifically is on the roster because of his performance in the ASU Championship game last year. If he doesn't have that, I'm not sure there's a world where he's in Kansas City this year. But it is a difficult system, like you mentioned. Andy Reid expects every single wide receiver to learn all three positions, to know all of their route trees, and how you can adjust your routes based on the coverage shown or post-snap shown that in lies the problem patrick mahomes knows this playbook inside and out he and travis kelsey have a special connection and that's why we see so much talk about it because they see the field the same way now specifically on downfield routes i'm, I'm getting kind of lengthy here guys no, just, go for it just stay, just stay with me really quickly downfield routes justin watson and mvs specifically they have to be able to adjust their route what they are actually running away from coverage. Most of the time, when they're running their deep routes down the field, they're running it right into a safety or right into a corner. And Patrick is throwing the football away from that player 
for obvious reasons. He doesn't want to put the ball in harm's way for no reason. Um, so it ends up dropping incomplete, or then you have the drops on top of it. So you have players that are very specific role players in Justin Watson and MBS who made some plays for them last year. They regressed this season. Kadarius Toney gets open a lot, can't catch the football, and gets hurt. You made a bet there, and right now it's not looking like a very good bet. And Sky Moore, for everything that people say about Sky Moore, I still believe that he can develop. Typically, you see the development happen in year three for these wide receivers that don't know a lot. Look at Nico Collins. I know it's a different situation, but look at Nico Collins. In Michigan, that is a very basic offense where they are not asked to do a lot as a wide receiver. It took him three to four years to develop in the NFL. Sometimes you hit, I'm not saying Sky Moore next year is going to develop and be a Nico Collins type of player, but there was a lot of pressure put on him. I'm not giving him a pass. He did not develop. He has also regressed from his rookie season, which was hard to do for a guy that wasn't involved. So you have an offensive system that is difficult to adjust to, difficult to learn. And on top of it, they made some poor bets and they didn't pan out this season outside of Rishi Rice. Nice. So, all right. Thinking about, let's say, let's go to Miami a little bit here. All right. Devon Achan. Is he already overrated? And and I say that from this sense, okay? It sounds kind of inflammatory. I just anticipate <laughs> all the fantasy people this summer who are going to look at the efficiency numbers, yeah. they're going to look at the scoring, and they're going to say, this kid is, it's going to be like Tony Pollard all over again, except, you know, the excitement's going to be there. Great offensive system, all of that. But are we already, like, on the... Uh, can you already predict that this guy's going to get overdrafted or is it going to be worth the hype to you? Yeah, this is a dangerous question for, because realistically we haven't seen enough from him as a full-time player and as a rookie to suggest that he's going to continue to be able to do this. And I know that he's in a great system. Maybe Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson aren't there, but we also know that outside of Christian McCaffrey, these Shanahan coaches like to have their full running back arsenal available to them. And you're going to see some games from Devin HN where he blows up and the offensive line concerns what's going to happen next year. When they were asked to run the football, when teams knew the football was being run, most of the time, defenses stopped it. I think against Buffalo, he did a really nice job, had a couple of big plays, and I'm comparing him more to what a Travis Etienne was this season, where he was a bad running back for most of the season, but he got a huge inflation from his breakaway speed and just a bunch of checkdowns, which we didn't expect from Tra um, from Trevor Lawrence. So there is going to be a good amount of there, – there's a good amount of reason, in my opinion, to, to draft him high, but we're going to probably approaching the level of dangerous territory for a guy who is going to be nicked up. He's already been hurt – three different times this season alone as a rookie and you're drafting again a position that gets hurt a lot he's not a great between the tackles runner he's a good one he's not great yeah. he's much better in the system which great he gets to the outside gets to the edge what happens next year when teams are like fine you guys want to run to the edge we're just not going to let you do it and you have to make that adjustment where again in the postseason i know the cold plays a whole factor in that game I understand all of that. Trust me. I get it. I, I live in Missouri. It was damn cold. It was really cold. <laughs> I can't imagine having to play that game. But I also watched 
this same Kansas City team, same Kansas City defense, that's not very good against the run, do the same thing in Germany. I know Devin HN wasn't there, but they did stop these running backs from getting to the edges and forced Tua to have to play. I think they're, we're going to have – I think Tua probably starts next year, but I think that Miami is going to be making a move for a quarterback, whether that's through trade or the draft. And when you have maybe a quarterback that can change the dynamic of this offense, you also might see a little bit less touches from Devin A. Chan. I'm not saying that he's not going to be a valuable guy. You might have to pick your weeks. So I think that it is a little dangerous to talk about him in the top three dynasty running back perspective, which I have seen thrown around quite a bit, quite a bit. I think even top five is putting it a little bit thick because of what we have seen. There's not enough to go off of. The highlights, fantastic. But I do think that he was really pushed up from his performance against Denver really early in the season. Yeah, a team that was not very good outman personnel-wise and just and the first time really early Gave on up. in the season. when te- Yeah, and teams getting the chance to see, you know, this was really still an unveil of that offense early on. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I'm with you just from the standpoint that if, from purely a fantasy standpoint, if Devon A-Chain is, uh, you know, anywhere earlier than the fourth round, and I would say even anywhere yes. earlier than the fifth round, you, you, you probably want to, I would say late, if Christopher Brooks is still going to be a potential factor on that team by next yeah. year with the other two veterans aging and maybe being out at some point, you might want to take a look at Chris Brooks as your Gus Edwards in that offense. Um, you, you know, like and, and just kind of keep an eye on that dude because they like him and they made room for him and he played well in spurts. So we'll see. All right. Can can Tua get Miami to February? <laughs> no. No. No, he can't. All right. Tua can't do it. And this is the guy, again, I defend it. I defend Tua. I like what he provides from an anticipatory th- um, throwing platform at a guy who can make a good amount of throws between the numbers, which we, we've seen. The, the, the blueprint's there, guys. It, it's there. Make him throw the football at a high volume to win a football game. And the problem I understand is, well, you don't draft a quarterback to to play in cold weather. Well, guess what? Where do you where are you going to have to travel if you're not winning the one seed? If you you want to host all of them, cool. You got to win the one seed first. But as it gets colder, you're in the AFC East. You have to travel to New York. You have to travel to Buffalo. You have to travel to New England. Every single year, you have to do that. And as good as I think Tua is in this system even if you get the offensive line better they have great weapons speed everywhere and and i I don't believe that he can be the quarterback to lead them there specifically because you can also fool him post snap you can fool him he's not the great reader of a defense he 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 relies on his anticipation and play action game they create those gigantic windows that we see him throw into every single game. It's every single one. It's behind, in front of the safeties behind the linebackers. Every single game. And those are created for him based off the speed and their run game and their play-action game. If you can take that away from him, force him to be a traditional quarterback, move the ball down the field, or even you know throw, him, throw outside the numbers, 
he's not reliable. So I, I, like I said earlier, I don't believe he's going to be their future starter, maybe next year, but not for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those things where, you know, you look at Tua at this standpoint, he's going to need that defense is going to have to get better. And the balance of they were hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. They were, but you know, even still, you're going to have to have an, a well-rounded team for him to be that guy because, and that's not something that we're probably going to, to see, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm with you. I, I think he'll continue to get them into January but I don't think yeah. February is in the cards. It isn't for most players. So good, good football player, just maybe not an elite quarterback. Let's put it that way. Travis Kelsey, will he finish his career on a downturn, or are we gonna, or are we gonna get the home cooking answer here? Uh, it's hard not to love Travis Kelsey, even with, <laughs> even now that he is like taking advantage Ascended. of every deal. <laughs> Of every like marketing deal that he can, and good for him. How many tight ends get an opportunity to do what he's doing out in the commercial space? He's padding up that he's padding up that uh, that bank account for retirement. I can say that for sure. And who wouldn't? And who? And he should. But mm -hmm. is is you know last year was a little bit of a downturn compared to the elite production that he's been giving. But it's not like it was a huge downturn yeah. are we gonna see him fall off a cliff is it just gonna be a slow trickle out or are we gonna see him end on a high note here so i have a few different answers for this first of all i'll fuck that he's not gonna go out on the downturn like he's not he's yeah. not retiring this year i know that for a fact one i have visual evidence of him saying he's not ready to retire if you guys want to find it you can find that on my twitter page at in harm's way 19 i clipped it and it's on my twitter page it's there it's a full until full length thing he did it last week we're recording this on the 15th it was last week that he was asked about retirement so there's that first of all this year he got hurt twice he got hurt twice and everybody seems to forget that he got hurt twice the very beginning of the season he missed week one because of a hyperextension and bone bruise those are typically three week to four week recovery times to be back fully healthy and what did travis kelsey do he turned around and played in week two and clearly was not effective. He, he couldn't really do a lot of the things that he normally does, which is getting out of his breaks well, feeling the defense, and al allowing him his natural curvilinear motion to take him into opposite directions while selling a different route. That's what he does exceptionally well. Couldn't really do that. And then in week four, they played Minnesota, where he was starting to, starting to feel a little bit better, and he hurts his ankle on the turf in, in Minnesota. So the last this, this season, he's been hurt more often from playing football than he ever has since his rookie season. At, you know, as a professional, he didn't play his entire rookie year because he he got he had surgery. He got he got hurt. So there's that part of the situation. For most of the NFL season, 2023, Travis Kelsey has been the only player that any defense cares about. No wide receiver scared them. The running game was terrible in Kansas City. They couldn't do anything, and they said, "Well, okay." After basically after the Chargers game, where he de decimated their defense, which is always funny to watch after you see Brendan Staley play against the Chiefs two times a year and still couldn't figure out how to just put two guys on Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so when you see him destroy them in a game early in the season, you're like, oh, hat tip to Brendan Staley. Uh, you know, no, he's no longer a head coach for a reason. Um, so you see that, and defenses were like, fine, fine. 
we are going to just put two guys on him and say, somebody else beat us. And we saw for a large portion of this year, nobody could. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes, the frustration, the obvious, no one, I don't trust these players. Patrick's mouth can do one thing. He can say that he trusts his players all he wants. The evidence on the field suggested otherwise. Yeah. And now, Rasheed Rice is making an impact. And Travis Kelsey had his best game. I honestly should have had a much better game, but I give him a little bit of a pass with the drops, with how cold that football was. I understand it. It's hard to catch a rock when it's thrown at you up here. Um, so he had his best game since, I believe it was that Chargers game, in terms yeah. of getting open, creating separation, and also catch, just getting into space. So there is something to say about what's going to happen in the postseason here if you have somebody reliable on the opposite end to take some of that attention away. So a fully healthy Travis Kelsey, I think he's going to play at least two more seasons myself. We'll see um, how that ends up going. But if you get some actual help, a running game, and somebody else that can take some attention, Travis will still put up numbers. Yeah, no, totally, totally great answer on that. So let's get away from the NFL for a little bit. Yeah. We got draft season ahead of us. So let's go. fuck it, Drake May will earn a second contract as a NFL starter for the same team that drafts him. Ooh, that's a that's always a it's always a great question for these quarterbacks that they're especially on the North Carolina with the, everyone's like no is this Mitch Trubisky 2.0? I'm feeling this one. Okay. He's a completely different player. And and for me it's not just the arm, the arm. He's got a fantastic arm. It's the lower body mechanics. When you can transition to the NFL with a lower body that allows you to not only get out and make plays on the move, but those micro movements in the pocket that allow him to avoid getting sacked. Those are things that translate extremely well to the next level. And he doesn't really, when you look at a guy like Will Levis, whose lower body is almost completely detached from his upper body. You're seeing exactly why there's a lot of questions about Will Levis as a quarterback, because he, one, he has no peripheral vision. Yep. He's got none. It's still there. It's he, he wears blinders. He gets he doesn't see anything happening around him. But Drake May has that innate ability to sense pressure that will always translate. And that's why I like to focus on the lower body. I'm getting better at, at identifying quarterbacks that have that lower body awareness and that sense. Because it's, it, it kind of is like a, a spidey sense of just using that extensive peripheral vision sometimes you can kind of see your fingers behind your head if you do it properly they quarterbacks that are excellent tom brady i think even patrick mahomes josh allen to an extent can all, all have that ability to see pressure behind them and get out just move a little bit here and there in the pocket and then he has all the arm talent and the ability to make the play the throws outside of structure that you really need to succeed early and develop later in his career so I believe that he's one not only going to be able to do that, but he's going to be very successful for a long period of time. So for you guys that are wondering, go ahead and clip this when he doesn't actually do that, and then you can just <laughs> at me on Twitter. <laughs> the feet, look, I love the analysis because the feet are definitely a window into what a quarterback sees. You know, that's that how they react, how quickly they react, tells you how quickly they're processing, and it shows you what it is they saw. I, my only question about Drake May's feet, I would say, is just that I do see the back foot come up a little early on on some throws outside the hash that yeah. I'd like to see him clean up that cause some some accuracy issues. But yeah, I agree that even though even though he gets hit a lot and it takes a lot of sacks, he also 
buys a lot of time. So it's kind of a more of a function, I think, of his surrounding talent, situations that he's put in, um, that kind of thing, um, more than it is that he that he's not good in the pocket because he definitely can move and create, and he's created a lot of big plays. Yeah, you know. So so no, I'm with you there. So what about Bo Nix? Will he be a starter by the time he gets a second contract? Are you feeling him or not? I know a lot of Oregon fans are not going to be happy with me, but uh, fuck it. I I, I don't buy Bo Nix myself. So what, what I see about Oregon's system that leaves me questioning Bo Nix is that it's ex- pretty much extremely one read. It is a one read and run for Bo Nix, which I get. He's a big athletic guy that can make you hurt the, hurt the defense with his legs in a straight line. I don't think he's the best athlete in the world. But my bigger problem is that when I'm watching his wide receivers, you know, Troy Franklin's coming out this this season, he throws the football to a space. His ball placement is a problem for me. I constantly see guys having to adjust where they are, where their hands are to catch the football on a one read, if he's open, throw it system. Doesn't always happen, but I think that Bo Nix does not read the field very well. You see, again, a lot of half field reads, a lot of one read for him. And when I see that, obviously you have to take in consideration that Oregon runs what they run. You can't fault the quarterback for that. So when I I have to be able to see a little bit of reading the field and and getting some of that. So we're going to see him at the Senior Bowl. That's going to be a great opportunity for him to showcase that he's not just a one read and can make some little micro adjustments in the pocket with his footwork, with his shoulders, and then, you know, scan a field. I want to see that with these weapons. It's going to be a fantastic showcase at wide receiver at the senior bowl as well. He's going to have ample opportunity to showcase that. So uh, right now, what I have seen from him at Oregon leads me to believe that he's more of a one read quarterback that will struggle in the NFL, specifically when the picture changes on him for a defense. And that's what I'm worried about. Okay. So Keon Coleman, is he a top five wide receiver prospect in this class? Feeling it, feeling it, absolutely. I think that we've lost a little bit of the luster on Keon Coleman when the offense changed drastically when their quarterback got hurt. You have a guy who's not able to really put the – for everything that Jordan Travis is not. I don't think he's a fantastic quarterback prospect. But he gave these guys chances down the field. And he his downfield ball placement was very good and did allow them to make some of these throws and be able to do all of that. So I think that the entire offense at Florida State suffered when their, in, when their quarterback got hurt. And Keon Coleman's draft stock has been a little bit kind of hurt because of it. But he hasn't changed. He has not changed as the player. I think his footwork is really good. He reminds me a little bit of a Drake London in, in a sense where he's got good footwork. He runs good routes. He's got the ability to make the, you know, catch the ball down the field. His, the added thing for me for, for Coleman is that he was a punt returner. He reads the field. He reads space. Well, his foot, again, his footwork is fantastic. That stuff translates. So even though he's not the best seeing the, the soft spots in zone right now, identifying all of that, his feet can get in there, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, and the, the, identifying the soft spots and zones is usually one of the last frontiers in terms of route running because when you take a look at Keon Coleman overall against man coverage and watch his route running, he's very quick in and out of his breaks yeah. for a big guy. Um, and he's really a – he'll be a perfect fit for a team where he can be an anticipatory – with an anticipatory passer. 
you know, someone who's going to get the ball out with good timing. He'll run those timing routes and get that separation. So, uh, yeah, I love the thoughts on, on Coleman. Totally agree. Top five in this class. Brian Thomas Jr., would he be a top five wide receiver in a lot of other drafts? And some people argue he is in this draft. I'm, I won't get that far with the in this draft class because I, I don't buy that. But I do right. think what he offers would be a, a fringe top five receiver in a lot of other drafts because he's an excellent downfield threat. Teams, you know, speed's on the rage. You guys look at the Miami Dolphins. Speed's on the rage. He offers all of that as well as the sideline feel, the ability to adjust his body in the air. You know, all of the, the ball skills that you want from a guy – who's going to be a deep threat in the NFL, ball tracking over his shoulder. You know, that the hands don't come apart when he's trying to catch the football. The reasons you and I did not necessarily like Quentin Johnston coming out last year, I mean, because he's trying to catch the ball like this, and what's going yeah. to happen if you're trying to get your ball like this? It's going to go through your hands. Yeah. Uh, the same thing we're seeing with MBS right now in Kansas City in his entire career. So you don't see that from Brian Thomas. He's got real ability to not just sense where the defender is. A lot of these guys in this draft specifically field defenders on their hips so well they hide their hands well and they just kind of wait for that last second that's becoming a huge added bonus because we talked about you know antonio brown before he went crazy was one of the best at hiding his hands he may be the best receiver in nfl history at waiting till the last possible second to flash those hands out to bring them out and say you can't do anything even if you're in a good spot my questions for Brian Thomas are everything else. I, I don't see a lot of the the route running chops for him. I think that he's he lacks yards after the catch ability, guys. That shiftiness that can make make a man miss and, and then get yards after and really sit in those zones. Things that maybe he wasn't asked to do a lot at, at, at LSU. And I understand that you've got Malik Neighbors <laughs> on your team. Maybe you just be the guy that draws some coverage downfield for him. Uh, again, we have to take into consideration sometimes that the offense doesn't always ask these players to do what they're asked. Chris Olave is a huge proponent of that. Um, was not asked to do anything outside of get open at, at Ohio State, and he can do a lot of different things in the NFL. So there are some caveats here, but what I, I don't I don't think he's not necessarily you know a top five guy in a lot of other drafts. I think he's a fringe player based on a team need and what he does very well. There you go. So. Who's your favorite sleeper in the 2024 draft at this point? Right now, it's Ricky Purcell, wide receiver out of Florida. Nice. And he's a scheme-specific guy. If you guys, actually, just yesterday, one of my Puka Nakua tweets went viral on Twitter. Like, people were quote-tweeting it because I, I talked about how he was one of the best-kept secrets in the draft. Because he's a little bit more scheme-specific. Had he not landed with Sean McVay, he probably doesn't have this season. But Ricky Purcell reminds me a little bit of Puka. He's not going to make those highlight catches. I think he has strong hands through contact. But the, the the main thing here is that he's a good timing route player. He has clean breaks. He runs good enough routes. And he catches the ball. Like yep. that. If you get a receiver like that with the right play caller, we're seeing it all over the NFL. So I think that when we get into sleepers, scheme fit matters so much more. Yep. If you get, you draft him to a, you know, a Bobby Slowick or a Ben Johnson or some of these play callers that know how to utilize the space and the timing and honestly the ball catching, and you pair him with a quarterback again. I, I, I pairing Puka Nakua with Matt Stafford was one of the greatest things in the history of last year's draft because Matt Stafford does not care about a window. Nope. Like you got hands. All right, yeah. go and catch this football. 
And, and so there's always a lot of things that can happen. And the reason I like Ricky Purcell is a lot of the reasons I liked Puka coming out. Timing, hands, you can finish through contact. Those things with the right scheme and the right offense can be very impactful in, in a lot of NFL offenses. For sure. You know, I Puka Nakua, my, my aspirational comp for him was Golden Tate, who was a, certainly yeah. a Matt Stafford favorite. So, yeah. you know. Makes but, a lot of sense. You, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I like, I love the Ricky Pearsall one. And I wouldn't even mind seeing him reunited with Anthony Richardson in yeah. with the Colts, where he could Another maybe. Another guy. Yeah. And you could add to the list. And if Pierce doesn't work out for them, maybe you can get a little bit more out of Ricky Pearsall um, in terms of the maybe type of Michael things you Pittman. do. Maybe yeah. he doesn't come back next year. He could fit that number two, three role, and, and then you still have Josh Downs and, and Pierce as the deep guy, and Purcell would fit that intermediate guy that can get yards after the catch in space for yeah. Shane Steichen. Yeah. I think it's a great call. Yeah. So, all right. Who's a prospect you feel is a little overrated? It's Braylon Allen. And, and Braylon Allen, everyone was like, this guy's really, really young. He's really young. He's just, uh, He caught a lot of balls last year. Okay. Okay, yeah. guys. Well, he was at, he had to. There was nobody else they were going to throw the ball to, and they changed their entire offense. He's not a very good one. He's not a good pass ball. He pass protector. He's not. He doesn't yeah. understand how to pass protect, which can be taught. It can be, but yeah. the effort and the ability to technically get your hands where they need to be and move your feet too. You can't just stand there wait for a guy to come and have your hands in the right spot. You're going to get blown over, and, and that's a lot of what I, I what I've seen so far. But He's not a good lateral athlete. He is very much a runway running back in the NFL. And that can be useful. It can be. But what I'm seeing a lot from people is that he's the RB1 in this class. I don't even know if I'm going to have him in my top five based on what I've seen. From Bucky Irving, from Trey Benson, Blake Corum, all of these guys can laterally make people miss i've also seen people call blake Corma one trick pony which is fantastically funny i mean not true um the guy that we're talking about right now hell <laughs> <laughs> it is a one trick pony i'm gonna cut and get up hold on did, did somebody did you just say someone called blake allen and blake Corma a, a, a one trick pony a one trick pony i saw it with my own eyes wow okay all right <laughs> But we're not here to bash people, okay? No, we're no, not. No, 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 that, no. That's not what I'm here for. No, no. And, and Braylon Allen is a is. I don't even know if he has that third gear. I, I don't know. I've yeah. seen him get caught from behind, and that that burst is is so explosive. Like people really hang on to burst at running back, and I get it. Don't get me wrong. If you're able to clear first and second level that quickly, it is in a trait you look for. I don't see much, like I said, of the lateral quickness when I'm talking about making a guy miss in space, getting into the first level at all. If you have pressure close, how are you going to make him miss while continuing to go through where is my hole? Like, you have to be able to process as a running back and see guys coming at your feet or pressure in the backfield and then assess at the same time where I'm going to be going when that pressure hits me. So I don't see a lot of that. I think he's a very overrated back in this class. Yeah, I, you've been, you, you, I almost would, I know you do your own work, but I'd almost like jokingly say that you've taken a tour of the shed in the RSP's rankings. Uh, <laughs> so, um, because, <laughs> because he's funny. not on the first floor, he's not even in the basement. I think he's somewhere in the shed, um, you, you know, so we'll see. Um but yeah, I mean, there's certainly he could have a fit as a role player in certain Absolutely. respects, you know. But do I see him as a top running back prospect? Not I, 
so far from what I've watched. And I've got another one more round left of running backs. I'll be looking back yeah. in February. He he was surprisingly low for me based on whatever buzz people were given. So who's a prospect you feels good, but you see a floor that scares you? This is this is one that you know I went back and forth on it because I really like the player. I love the skill set. But like you said, there is a floor that scares me, and it's Troy Franklin. I love yeah. Troy Franklin. I love him. I think he is growing as a route runner. That speed is fantastic. And his ball tracking down the field is good. I wouldn't say it's great. The problem I'm at with Troy Franklin is that there are. I've seen a lot of people say, well, he's gotten better at this aspect this year. And I, I vehemently disagree. Contact. Any type of physicality, where where did he go? Where, where is where's Troy Franklin? No, he disappears with physicality. Like I watched him against Washington when they put Jabbar Muhammad on him. Anytime that he was asked to be physical, there was no there was nothing there. And I'm worried because he's not gonna be getting much bigger in the NFL. He's no. a slight framed guy, and yeah. they're not going to be like, hey, Troy, you come into the weight room and start bulking up so yeah. you can lose all your speed and quickness. No, he's going to win based off of his, you know, and again, there is possibility that he's like Jordan Addison, and Jordan Addison was fantastic in that scheme. They also do a lot of creating for him. They don't match him up in, in on the outside, and so there is the just the the. the path for him excuse me where he does become a very good contributor and he understands how to release timing for your releases is critical i want everyone and we're gonna go back to kansas city real quick to watch legerius need against tyreek hill the fastest lateral player maybe ever in the nfl he put him in the dirt on third and thirteen. He put him in, he put, and Terry kills a muscle hamster of yes. sorts. That dude is yeah. jacked. And he put him in the dirt. You're going to face that in the NFL. Troy Franklin is not ready for that. Not yeah. even laterally so. So, again, I say this with all the love because I love his speed. I love, again, he's a growing route runner. He's understanding a lot of his leverages. And when you do have that, you're going to find success and you have the speed to make guys, to, to make people miss. Cole Hardman has speed to make guys miss too. Um, I'm just going to say that. There is the, the the path where he's like a Jordan Addison where yeah, he's great. He's going to be great for number two for that team. There's also McCole Hardman. Yeah. These are both outcomes for this possible player. Yeah. And that's something we have to face as evaluators. No, without a doubt. I would, I, I'll just say after watching quarterbacks, you know, going through quarterbacks this, this month and continuing to go through them, I'll say Caleb Williams. It's an easy one, just from the yeah, standpoint I, yeah. of, I, I, you know, fantastic player, great at buying time. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's a little more to me, like he's aspiring to be Aaron Rodgers. Um, and I think that there's a floor where he could be aspiring to be Jay Cutler. Um, mm -hmm. There's a floor where maybe he's looking looking right next to him, and there's Drew Locke in the mirror, um, you know, next to him. I mean, there's some. There's certainly some cases here with him because while I think he got better after the Notre Dame game um, this year yeah. where he had uh, he just really had some poor decisions in that Notre Dame game, and I think he started throwing the ball away a lot more, there's still that 
you know, there's still that mentality of I'm the guy who's going to put the team on my back and do everything that it takes and not realize that less is more sometimes that you've got to take the little losses so that you can get the big victories. And he doesn't do that with throwing the ball away, with knowing that there's some certain targets not to squeeze in there. Maybe you just make the quick read that was there. Like there's there's opportunities where you, he can make the quick read and get the ball out fast. Let your receiver do the work rather than go, no, that's not enough. Let me go. <laughs> let me buy time for another four to six seconds. Something I'm not going to be able to do as much of in the NFL, Kyler Murray, that's one of his problems, is, you know, and and end up having like big plays that show up in the, um, you know, on ESPN, but you lost the game, you know, and I think that that's where, that's where I, I have fears about Caleb Williams. I mean, I still think right now he's still my top quarterback prospect. Yeah. Um, but he's, <laughs> He's not a guy that I think is, I think he's the most boom bust top prospect at the position I've graded in a few years. Like where it's like, I, I'm, I would make the bet on him, but understand that the, understand that the trap door with his game, if it's the wrong situation, um, it, it could fall fast because he could try way too hard to do too much. So yeah. The Goonies would love Caleb Williams. Yes. Caleb Williams is a Goonie. I know he. I just. I mean. I know it. That that dude is never say die forever. And like you, like you talked about, he he doesn't even like to check the ball down. Yeah. He doesn't want to throw it to his running backs. And guess what? You're gonna have to do in the NFL. You gotta check the ball down, my guy. There's gonna be pressure in your face faster than you can ev than you yeah. can evade it. it. Just it is. So I'm. I understand it. And what I've really realized about this situation right now with Chicago is I'm not a Matt Eberflus guy. Like, I don't think Matt Eberflus is going to keep his head coach job after this next year. So my opinion, yes, you guys are going to get my opinion on this real quick because this is what I do. And the Chicago Bears, if they go away from Justin Fields, which I, I could see Justin Fields and Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams turning out very similar if they both end up in Chicago in their first few years and they've had to deal with multiple offensive coordinators. That could be exactly what we saw from Justin Fields in his first few years in Chicago. If they draft Caleb Williams and then they bring in this new offensive coordinator, this new guy, this new guy here, they learn that system and then they clean house because Matt Eberflus gets fired next year because he didn't. He pulled an Arthur Smith where maybe they overachieved at the end of the season last year, like Chicago did, and they fall off. They don't do what they did at the end of the season last year, and it all goes back. And Matt Eberflus loses his job. You have a new head coach. You have maybe have a new GM. There's a lot that can happen with that situation. So I'm 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 with you. I understand the four concerns for Caleb Williams a lot, and I think that there are far more concerns there than most people would be willing to admit. But that's another part of the quarterback conversation. Yeah, they have these highs. Yeah, without a doubt. They just do without a doubt. And I think that you know this is. This was great, and this is going to be one of those things that we're going to have to get you back on where we're just going to have it a little bit more um, less format-like and just talk a little bit more about some broader Absolutely. questions about scouting scouting, and, and players and, and different position developments and, and what we think about certain guys. So we're going to do that in the coming weeks for sure. Um, but, you know, you can follow Daniel at In Harm's Way 19 
on X on Twitter. Find them at Football Guys. Um, where else can they find your stuff? I just started a brand new podcast for Cover One. We do a draft now. I do a draft show for Cover One every every single week with my my guy John Helpcamp. So there's that, and all of my scouting stuff will be on NFL33.com. All of my grades will be up there as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Always nice to be able to have a strong voice in the in the draft community, and that's certainly the work that you do. So we're looking forward to having you back on. Rookie scouting portfolio available, mattwaldmanrsp.com. You can learn more about it there. You just go to mattwaldman.com. You can you can buy it if you if you already know the drill. Um, and thanks again. You guys have a good one.